Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. We are in our last week on the book of Ephesians. Can you believe it? What an amazing journey as we went through this process of discovering the beauty of the gospel as Paul explains it to this church in Ephesus. And uh, I truly hope that this stirred your heart. Now, as we go into this last portion, it is actually so amazing to just discover how Paul now goes into the detail, into the important detail of how we live this Uh, uh, this new life, this resurrection life that we have in Christ Jesus. So in the book of Ephesians, Paul starts with this beautiful opening, this this literally a, a poem of imagination, just stirring our hearts about who we are. And then he goes into this three, first three chapters explaining to us who we are, what this, this resurrection life looks like, what the, the world that we now live in, this, this country of salvation, this place of redemption, how we live in this and who we are, how, who we have become because of the success of the work of the cross. And then gradually Paul kind of changes gears into explaining to us what the implication of this is, how we now live this resurrection life. What does it look like when we don't just talk it, but we start walking it. And the second portion is all about the walking, the worthy, our calling, this amazing thing that God has established in us, that He sealed with the working of the Holy Spirit. And now we start living this new life. And of course, this is all closed in this big circle that Paul calls maturity to the full stature of the person of Christ. That is the aim, who we are to live in that way, that it looks exactly the same. It's as if Paul says, do you want to measure your maturity? This is how you measure it. The, the, the more accurate you walk in your new identity, the more accurate you walk in who you have become, the more you are maturing in Christ. You know, I can explain it like, uh, like this, and it's a very limited explanation, but um, I have three children. So uh, they were all born uh, th- by the, with, with the full implications of the genes of me and my wife. So they had no limit in terms of the influence and the finished work of who they were in terms of being Ruets. That's who they were born as. But they were born in this world, although they carry the full implications of their identity with the need to be trained in that 
identity. So as they started growing up in this very secure relationship, not just the, the, the correct DNA, but also the safe environment of a relationship with mom and dad that cannot be changed, even if I mess up, even if I misunderstand my identity, uh, even if I go astray, this thing, this relationship will not change. The mechanism is safe. They needed to be trained in that. So as they grew up, they did certain things that did not fit in terms of the values or the behavior or the attitude or the priorities that we as a family consider precious to us. Those became moments of growth where we spoke into their lives, where we reminded them about who they are. Those became the moments where we adjusted and aligned their behavior and their priorities and their value system to who we are as a family. As they matured, we could see how the who they are and how they lived started to become the same thing. I remember a day with uh, our oldest, Arnu, when uh, he, he was going through a bit of a tough time and a lot of discipline was needed in that, that phase of his life. And uh, uh, I remember taking him into the bathroom this one day, really just being so tired of, uh, of giving him a preach and maybe uh, taking off the belt and sorting him out. And I, as I stood in front of the door of the bathroom, I prayed and I said, God, will you just give me grace as a father today to understand how do I align my son with who he is? And uh, in a moment, I had this very deep conviction that God said, you must walk in this bathroom today, not with a heart of walking in to discipline him, but to walk in and remind him of who he is, about what we sensed as parents in his birth and in his name. And I walked in and I started talking to him, not taking off my belt, not ready to, to go into, into a spanking and explaining, but, but just reminding him about who he is. And I, I can remember that face looking at me and waiting, when, when, when is this going to get ugly? And then him realizing that this is much more, a, a much bigger implication than just getting a hiding. This is a moment in his life. And as I was speaking, and of course I used all the pastor in me to, to explain this, and I remember him starting to cry. And I think of all the times we needed to go to the bathroom to bring alignment in his life. That was one of the most important ones. As he now is a matured adult, I can see the reality of that moment being engraved in his life. And I think what, what Paul is talking about here is that, that alignment, God speaking over our lives, even though we sometimes mess up and we go astray and we miss things, God speaking into our lives and reminding us about who we are and the implications on how we walk. So when, when Peter writes about exactly the same idea, he says in 1 Peter 1 verse 23, he says, because you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of 
imperishable through the living and enduring word of God. This limited illustration of me with my son suddenly becomes very perfect in the sense of God, the perfect father, saying that if you look at who you are, you will see his fingerprints, his DNA, his nature. You will see that as evidence in your life of a second birth. That is the reality in terms of who you are. But then in the same chapter, verse 15, Paul, uh, Peter writes and he says, But as the one who called you is holy, you also are to be holy in all your conduct. For it is written, be holy because I am holy. And for so many, many years and, and, and seasons within the church, we, we use this verse as a, as a stick to eat people with and remind them about the fact that you are not good enough. You are not, you're never going to be like God. You have to try harder. And the, in essence, what, what Peter is writing about is exactly the same as Paul is writing and saying, I'm reminding you of who you are now live within that. That is the key to maturity. Then Paul goes into the detail. So he's going to take three examples and he's going to work with us through the reality of who we are and how we walk in terms of these three exa examples. And he chooses very, very uh, interesting areas in which he's going to explain it. So he chooses marriage which is an arena of, uh, of conflict, uh, which is a majorly joyful arena, but uh, also an, uh, 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 an arena of, of, of big challenge. And then he chooses raising children, which is equally and sometimes even more a challenge in life. And then just to top it all off, he goes into this workplace environment in those days, slaves and masters, but in our days, of course, would be more employee-employer relationship. And he explains to us how this all works together. So in our, our portion of scripture, we read the following in verse 18. He says, and don't get drunk with wine. And it's almost as if we don't understand, Paul, where are you starting now? But I'll quickly explain. So don't get drunk with wine, which leads to reckless living, the CSB says. But be filled by the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart and to the Lord, giving thanks uh, always for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. It's again one of those little, little bombs that Paul is dropping in terms of, of choice of words and images. It is so rich. So he starts out with saying, if we want to understand this, this coming together of who we are and how we walk, there's an image that he uses. And the first image is the one to be drunk with wine. Now, I don't know about you and I don't want to go too deep into uh, my own history, but I don't know if you know what it feels like to be drunk and let the pastor be quiet about this. But he uses this image and he says, you know the picture of people getting drunk 
Have you ever seen someone drunk? And when someone is drunk, you, you see that they are numbed in their senses. They, their filters kind of goes away and is, is diluted and uh, they say things that might be improper. They, they behave in a way that they normally would never do. They, they're numbed in their senses, but they also changed in their personality. The introverts suddenly become loud extroverts and they become the party animals because of all the alcohol. Alcohol. And then, of course, alcohol is always also a place where we escape the seriousness of life. You forget about all your troubles and all your problems. And uh, this is just a carefree, peaceful world in which you live. And he uses this image because the thing of becoming drunk is actually a temporary change of identity. Your senses, your personality, your realities in life are impacted by alcohol. And he says, if you want to understand what walking worthy this calling does not mean, it is similar to someone being drunk, who's not understanding and living accurate in terms of his identity, but is actually failing in terms of sensitivity. His senses are numbed, his personality has gone astray, his, his, his reality are skewed by the influence of the alcohol. And then he puts down this big reality saying, if you live this way, that is reckless living. So if you want to live in harmony, don't go that route. He's not saying don't use alcohol. This is not about alcohol. This is an image, which of course is a good idea. Don't use or abuse alcohol. But he's saying this is the image. This is where you end up. And then he gives the opposite, which is very interesting because he does not say, do not drink alcohol. So on this side, it is alcohol. On this side, the absence of alcohol. He says on this side, it is the presence of alcohol. But on this side, it is being filled with the Holy Spirit. And that is almost, it's almost too, too far apart for us to, to, to comprehend. But what he says it's if you are filled with the Holy Spirit, exactly the opposite happens. While being drunk, your senses are numbed. Being filled with the Holy Spirit, your senses come alive. You are suddenly filled with the love of the Holy Spirit and everything in you becomes alive because of His work. Not only your personality or your senses, but also your personality. It comes alive who you are actually made to be. It all becomes alive. And instead of escaping, you suddenly, live within this reality but within the power of God to face reality and have victory in the face of challenges and then he uses this beautiful picture he says speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making music with your heart to the Lord giving thanks in everything to God the Father in the name of Jesus Christ and it's almost as if you want to say Paul what are you saying now shouldn't we get drunk but should we be in church singing all the time I've heard so many times this, this verse being quoted as this is what we should do in church, guys. We all come singing to one another and bringing psalms and, and singing spiritual songs. This is what we do in church. And Paul is actually saying exactly the opposite. He's saying, if you want to live accurately within an understanding of your identity, your life will look like someone 
singing, someone bringing psalms. Your life will be like a harmonious uh, a, a moment of musical instruments playing together and inspiring people. That is the beauty of this verse. You know, the word harmony means a combination of simultaneously sounded musical instruments that produce a pleasing effect. It's as if Paul says, listen, if you are filled with the Spirit, if you are living accurately within your identity in Christ, if you are standing with your feet on the ground of the country of resurrection, if redemption is a reality for you, if you are living this new life, your, your life will sound like music. Your life will have harmony in it. This harmony, of course, nothing other than the love of Christ. You see, filled with the Spirit, our lives become a song that is making music with our hearts, praising God and giving glory to God. The opposite of that is drunk songs. Have you ever heard a bunch of guys in a pub singing terrible songs while they are drunk? Paul says this, this is the, the, the opposites in life. It's a, it's a bunch of guys drunk. There's no harmony in their song. And this is God glorifying music. The areas in which your life is challenged to be harmonious is in the areas that he's now going to explain. He, he makes a little comment and it's actually, I wish we had a lot of time to explain this as he ends this, this image, this image of being drunk and being filled with the spirit and singing songs and this God glorifying life. He ends with this one little sentence saying, submitting to one another in the fear of Christ. How does a life look like that is a song to the glory of God. It is a life in which we as people on this planet, in this country of, of salvation, live submitted to one another in the fear of Christ. That word submission means honoring. It means respect. It means love expressed in a very practical way. And when he talks about the fear of Christ, he's not talking about the fact that we are terrified by Christ. It is in the honoring, it is in the adoration of who He is. It is as if He's saying we are living in this life and the way that we see Christ is impacting our lives to such an extent that the way we handle other people is actually influenced by this reality more than by this reality between us. We are submitting to one another. Love becomes the mechanism of worshiping God in everyday life. You see, if you, if you start walking in the power of the Holy Spirit, you will come alive in your senses. The fruit of the Spirit is love. When you walk in the Spirit, you will live to the maximum capacity of who you were made to be. If you live in love, you will be equipped to face the worst challenges of this life with joy in your heart, understanding that God is with you. 
So now he goes into marriage and he starts by saying, wives, submit to your husband as to the Lord. Now, this is very interesting. And I think this is like, uh, you, you won't find this verse in the Cosmopolitan or you or Sari or Heisgenoot or whatever you read. This is God glorifying way of life. This is not popular way of life. This is that mechanism because of who I see Christ to be. It influences me so much that the way I live towards you suddenly is influenced and changed because of this, this revelation of who he is. And now I see myself and I see you in a different way. That is harmonious life. So being submitted is not a lesser identity. Living, and uh, just to say it, that Paul is not saying that all women should submit to men, just to say it. He's talking within marriage to your husband. And he's saying, this is the, the God mechanism that, that a man be head of this union, of this relationship, and that the wife be the submitted one. That word, hipotasumai in Greek, literally means to deploy, deploy yourself under as to carry. It literally means like that you become the pillar in carrying the weight of this relationship. And he's challenging wives, saying that if you want to live life in a way that makes music to God, glorifying God, this is the thing that you need to address because he knows the reality of the thing of Adam and Eve and the struggle between the genders of, through all of, 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 of earthly life. And he's addressing this. He's saying, listen, when you are numbed by the, by the, the wine of this world, of, of this country of lostness, the world that we know so much, wives will not submit to their husbands, which will bring conflict and competition in this relationship. And it will mess up this relationship but like Christ and the church and he uses this image the one submits becomes the power deploying himself herself underneath this leader this beautiful mutual relationship of love and submission then suddenly something changes and your marriage changes you see you don't have to believe that a wife should submit to a husband. You don't have to believe it. It's like, I don't believe um, that if I throw up something in the air, that it will come down. I can convince myself that, that, that I can just throw it up and it will just keep going up. But if I do throw it up, it will come down and most probably hit me on the head. And that's what many times happens within marriages. But then he doesn't leave out the husbands in this picture because he also explains what it looks like when you come alive in Christ and you start living resurrection life that you will, in verse 25, love your wife qualified by this as Christ loved the church and sacrificed himself for her to make her holy, cleansing her and washing her by the water of the word to present her to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or anything. This is a love that betters. This is a love that restores. This is a love that beautifies. And he says, husbands, love your wives in that way. This mutual respect because of the fear of Christ seen in marriage is exactly this picture. Husbands, you don't have to believe it. But if you are numbed in your senses and you are living in the country of lostness, you will not love your wife. 
You will live for yourself. You will love yourself more than your wife. But when you become alive in Christ, the opposite will happen and you will become the servant of your wife that is submitting to you. Can you see the beauty of this picture? Two people because of the admiration and adoration of Christ coming together in this union to make beautiful music that glorifies God. Wish we could spend more time on each one of these. Because he quickly changes gears and goes into parenting. And this is like in our generation, a crazy thing. Because he says, children, obey your parents. Verse 1 of chapter 6. In the Lord, because that is right. Honor your father and your mother, which is the first commanded, commandment with a promise. So that you may, so it may, may go well with you and that you may have a long life in this land. Fathers, don't stir up anger in your children, but bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. If you want to make beautiful music in life, you must understand as a parent that God calls you because of this adoration of Christ to handle your children in a way, to grow them up in grace in such a way that they will become part of the symphony of the glory of God being played in this world and that they do not become part of the drunken songs of pubs. And this is an area of big confusion because this verse uses very particular words. It says, your children should obey. The work of a parent is to raise children within grace and a safe environment of love so that they will obey. And parents are many times scared to do that. It says, don't stir up anger in your, in your children. Train them and instruct them. There's a work that a parent should do with his children so that they will become part of the symphony of the glory of God. And if you as a parent start leaning in towards the drunken songs of the chaos of life and you do not take up your responsibility, you are not influenced by who he is and you do not influence this relationship with your children, they are going to end up being part of the drunken song of the country of lostness. You see, the purpose of parenting is to prepare children for God-glorifying adult life. That's what parents should do. Your child should, should be independent. They should be confident. They should be functional and they should end up God-glorifying. That's your work as a parent. As a parent, it is not your work to be the friend of your child. Let me make you angry with this statement. You are not to be your friend's, your child's friend. You are the parent. Take up the responsibility, says Paul, to raise these kids within the influence of Christ in the country of salvation. Teach them about resurrection life. Teach them to live in that reality. Do not neglect your responsibility to your children. If you allow your child you do things that you don't like, you will end up not liking your child. If you allow your child to do things that other people do not like, your child will end up alone. 
If you allow your child to do things that is not glorifying God, your child might end up without Christ. That is the sum total of being a parent. You will end up resenting your child. Is that possible even? Yes. Proverbs 14 verse 24. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Proverbs 24, 13. Don't fail to discipline your children. The rod of punishment won't kill them. Physical discipline may save them from death. How do we live in this relationship? A parent's love for their children is expressed by helping them and leading them, instructing them and training them to live a life obeying God. Don't neglect that, Paul says. And then he dives into the workplace relationship. And he says the following, verse 5 of chapter 6, Slaves, obey your human masters with fear and trembling. In the sincerity of your heart, which is two opposite thoughts, you know, fearing your work, uh, your, your master, and then having, having like this sincerity of heart is two things that kind of don't gel that good. But within the light of our revelation of Christ and our new identity, that becomes the challenge of life. As you would Christ, he says, that's the, the thing. Don't work only while being watched as people pleases, but as slaves of Christ, do God's will from your heart. Serve, serve with a good attitude as to the Lord and not to people. You see, you and I sometimes go to our workplace and we allow the country of, of lostness with its drunken songs to influence the way that we do our work and engage with people in that space. And Paul says, no, the moment we understand who we are in Christ, we start living this God-glorifying symphony of beautiful instruments of love playing even within our workplace. And it is done with an attitude of serving, this, serving for Christ. I do this work for Christ, not just for my boss. And even if I have the worst boss, like a slave owner, I still do it as if for the Lord because that brings God's glory into this world. And that becomes the measurement of my maturity in Christ. And the same for the master. Working with your people in the same way, verse 9, uh, treating them well because you know that both uh, their master and yours is in heaven and there's no favoritism in him. You love your people when they work for you. You are good to your people when you are the employer and they are the employees. That is the challenge that Christ brings. Paul ends this story and uh, it's, it's so beautiful as, as we read it in, in, um, in Ephesians 5 in the message. He says, don't drink too much wine. Listen to this. That cheapens your life back in the country of, of, of lostness. He says, drink the Spirit of God, huge draughts of Him. Sing hymns instead of drinking songs. Sing songs from your heart to Christ. Sing praises over everything. Any excuse for a song to God the Father in the name of our Master, our Lord Jesus Christ. This is who you are. This is how we walk. How do we get it together? Life must become a song, worshiping God 
in the way that we understand Christ in the relationship in our marriages, our children, our workplaces. That is how we grow in maturity. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that your word stirs us in our marriages, stirs us in our parenting, stirs us as, as work uh, in our workplace, as employers and employees, as we are living under the influence of the love of Christ. Let us be the reflection of that love. Let us be the glory of God exhibited in every place that we come. Help us, Lord, to understand accurately who you have made us, what you have called us to be, so that our lives will be a song that glorifies you, a symphony orchestra that brings glory to the God of the heavens. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services. 